Today, people are paying $700,000 for a house and land package 65 kilometres from Sydney. It feels like it's closer to Canberra than Sydney. They are out in the boonies. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers. I'm here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today, we're going to learn how foreign influence into Australia's property market game changes wealth in Australia. Of course, real estate is global. You today can buy real estate in just about any country of the world. So what is the fascination for Australian real estate for people overseas? How does foreign investment influence you today listening from wherever you are? And what kind of outcomes can the wrong type of foreign investment impact you in your daily life? It's a big topic and I want to crack the code because I work daily in the urban world And one of my pet hates is coming up against certain type of properties which add no value to the real estate world but are consumed by foreign investment. So let's discuss the good, the bad and the ugly as to how property investment and foreign investment tie together. Australia has a plan. By 2051, it wants 40 million people. That's a lot of people. That's people everywhere. So to grow an economy, you need money. And one could argue for an investment in Australia really does come down to money. There really isn't enough money in Australia's economy to double its population, to expand endlessly. Countries are just economies and the more money in your economy, the faster it can actually grow. And you look around the world at the big economies growing quickly. There's a few dynamics around them. Big population bases. They are huge, huge economies. Places like Brazil, India, Russia, China. These are huge economies known as the brick economies reshaping how the world actually will feed off each other. Australia is a small economy but actually we punch pretty hard. We're in the G20, the top 20 richest countries in the world. We do a lot of this activity and grow our economy by inviting more money into our foundation. See, you and I get up every day, we go to work, we exchange our time for money. But we also need more money coming into the economy to stimulate growth. The more money coming into our economy, the bigger our economy becomes, the more money going around the more opportunity for you to get paid more and the flow on 
circular effect of a growing economy works. So will Australia turn to foreign investment to grow its economy? Simply put, let's break this down. There's a guy today in China with a million dollars. Do we want that million dollars out of China and into Australia? The logic is, if it comes to Australia, it's now in our economy, not the alternate economy, being, in that example, the Chinese economy. So do we bring more money into our economy to make ourselves more wealthy, or are there some adverse effects to foreign investment? For me, I think the Sydney property boom, which a lot of property investors live through, a lot of Sydney siders live through the boom of 2013 to 2017. If you're not familiar with it, it was spectacular. Real estate actually doubled in value in virtually four years. Of course, if you were tracking the cycle, the cycle went for a lot longer. The cycle really began in about 2007 and completed 10 years later in 2017. But four special years of growth, spectacular growth. I mean, real estate was going in, up in value in some neighbourhoods $10,000 a week. That's how quickly the real estate market was moving. People were making 10 Gs a week. It's a huge amount. Think about how much work you have to do to make 10 Gs. Real estate was doing it. It was incredible. But one could argue the Sydney property spectacular boom wasn't me paying more for my neighbor's property because I just had to have my neighbor's property. One could actually argue that foreign investment into Sydney's economy inflated artificially the prices of Sydney. Today, Sydney is the second most expensive real estate market in the world. It is a, a very, very, very costly place to own real estate. In 2013, that wasn't the case. But you had global cities expanding at an exceptional rate. To buy an apartment in Shanghai or Guangzhou, Shenzhen, Hong Kong, back in 2013, you were paying 20000 a metre. When people from those neighbourhoods looked at Sydney, they were saying good Sydney was at 10000 a metre. Now, if you don't understand what 10,000 a metre means, that's 50 square metre apartment, which is like a one bedroom, at 10,000 a metre equals $500,000. So back then, Sydney was on sale by world standards. So people who were used to paying a million dollars for an apartment in a big global city like Shanghai, looking at little Sydney at 10,000 a metre, going, you know what? That's good value. So real estate is global. And sometimes at a local level, at a street level, at a suburb level, 
We feel like we're competing with the guy we went to school with. We feel like we're competing with our peers who kind of like push us along and egg us along in, in life. We feel like we're competing with our best mate, Muggo. Muggo just bought a house. I need to buy, to ha- buy a house. But Muggo isn't the problem. Muggo's just part of the story. We're actually competing in Australia at a very global level. People from all over the world identify with our big global cities. Australia has two big world-famous cities, Melbourne and, uh, of course, Sydney. And, of course, at an international level, people get it. Like, if it's half the price to invest in a cracking Australian city than it is to a Chinese city or an Indian city or a, an American city, then all of a sudden there is a footprint of investment. Now, my belief is Sydney and the growth that happened in Sydney was exponential because of foreign investment. Capital growth was going to happen in Sydney, don't get me wrong. Absolutely concrete. The fundamentals were there. There were some good synergies around lack of supply, population increasing. Sydney is a good place to live. Lots of jobs. The jobless rate was low. Uh, The economic underbelly, the GDP of the city was growing. But you add that and then you throw in foreign investors on top of that, you get this heat in the marketplace. Now, if you ever want to understand how a boom works, booms are actually created by groups or demand efforts. Now, in real estate, there are kind of like five groups. First home buyers, downsizers, upgraders, who are people buying their second or third home, investors and foreign investors. When all of those groups shop at once, you have a feeding frenzy. When first home buyers are buying, you've got one element. When downsizers are shopping, you've got a second group of demand. When upgraders are going to auction and buying houses, you've got more demand. Then you've got investors who see value in the market. And of course, throw in the mix foreign investors and you've got a lot of people feeding on real estate, creating this kind of like FOMO effect that everyone's going to miss out. And of course, the psychology of that stimulates activity and more people come shopping, more people come buying. So today, Sydney is an expensive place. Most Sydney-siders can no longer even afford to live in Sydney. The wealth effect happened. The wealth effect is a construct of government. Government can engineer us in real estate to be wealthy or not to be. Government can do things like allow foreign investment, they can stop foreign investment, they can increase taxes, they can cut negative gearing, allow negative gearing, they can create stamp duty concessions, they command the economy. Real estate is what I refer to as a command-led economy. It is not left to its own devices. The share market is a free market. Warren Buffett has that famous saying, show fear when others show 
Courage show courage when others show fear. Warren, Warren Buffett is a share market guy. Warren Buffett, Buffett is not a real estate market guy. The real estate is a command-led marketplace. The powers that be pull the strings. The wealth effect is simple. If you want Australians to be worth more, you inflate their worth. In Australian real estate, Sydney was inflated beyond its worth. People made a fortune. I made about three million bucks out of the Sydney property market for doing nothing, for having a house, for having four houses in Sydney. I virtually saw my wealth triple down. But was it really Sydney people wanting to outbid me at auction? Well, they were just caught up in FOMO. The underbelly of it was foreign investment. See, what was going on back then was apartments were being constructed in key Sydney locations and sold for exponential square metre rates, but not sold locally, sold offshore. All of a sudden, a one-bedroom in St. Leonard's went from $350,000, which most people could afford locally, to $700,000. Why? Because foreign investors were sold real estate at an overpriced value. They then settled, a lot of them with cash, and it pushed the market up. Real estate was driven up for the most part by foreign investment interfering in our economy. Now, this created a wealth effect for people who own real estate. It did the polar opposite for people who don't own real estate. If people didn't own real estate between 2013 to really 2015, if you, if you missed the market, that entry level of the start of the real growth pattern, you miss the wealth effect. And inequality has risen ever since in Sydney. People have been pushed further out. The city has grown. Today, people are paying $700,000 for a house and land package 65 kilometres from Sydney. It feels like it's closer to Canberra than Sydney. They are out in the boonies. The wealth effect helped richer people get rich but created inequality. A lot of Sydney people today can no longer afford to live in Sydney. Children of Sydney ciders got to leave town because Sydney is now too expensive and as a huge result, result and a huge linkage to foreign investment. Now, conspiracists do believe that if you want to create instability in an economy, you take over the economy with money. You artificially inflate it so it unravels. And there is conspiracists within the property sector that do believe foreign 
intervention into the Australian property market create inequality and unraveled political institutions. Coronavirus has come along and it's reshaping things again. Really, I should be broke. I should be broke right now. I should be losing money. My tenants uh, shouldn't be paying me rent. My property value should be going down. Uh, I should be in stress, but I'm not because the wealth effect is occurring. Government is creating stimulus. Government is creating commands to help people who own real estate. Banks are putting holidays out there, mortgage holidays. This would not happen in the share market. The share market would crash. Real estate market is not. Why? The wealth effect. Australians have more money in real estate than any other asset class. Same with Kiwis. So it is government's best interest to prop up the property market. But what this does is also create an even greater effect that rich people get richer. I should be broke, but I've never been richer than I've been in coronavirus. And coronavirus is influencing success for property investors. Here's what's really happening. The guy that does five shifts a week that doesn't own real estate is now put down to three shifts a week. And the chances of that person in the next five years buying a property has completely evaporated. That person is sadly going to get poorer and get broken by the system. The system rewards people that take risk. Non-risk takers get absolutely poleaxed by the system. Foreign investment interfered with the Sydney property market between 2013 and 2017. People got rich. I got rich. Inequality is real. The guy that didn't invest, that didn't take the risk, did not get rich. So... We know the wealth effect is real. We know that Sydney and the property market boomed. But we also need to understand there is a huge level of middle class wealth in emerging nations like Russia, China, India, Brazil that have an uneasy relationship with their homeland that absolutely want to get their money out of those countries into safe havens. Australia is a safe haven. There is a concept in economics known as the Dubai effect. Dubai, if you've ever been there, is quite a weird place. The Emiratis really do nothing and there is imported workers from all over the world that really kind of give you this kind of sense of being like a slave colony inside the UAE. People invest in real estate at a global level 
in the United Arab Emirates, in Dubai. Why would you ever invest in Dubai? It's hot. The local population essentially doesn't work. It's filled with immigrant labor that could easily leave any day of the week. Why would you invest in Dubai? The Dubai effect. What the hell's the Dubai effect? The Dubai effect is the idea that money can be laundered and put into Dubai as a safety place. And a lot of rich, wealthy people or middle-class people who have an uneasy relationship with their country of birth move their money from Europe or the Russian Federation or the former Soviet Union to Dubai. They don't put it in the bank, they put it in real estate. A lot of real estate in Dubai is locked up. People don't live in it. It's just a bank, a place to launder money, a place to safe haven money. Think about going down to your local bank and putting 100 bucks in it. Same concept. You're just doing it with real estate. For much of Asia, Asia turns to Australia to safe haven money. Asia turns to Australia from banking real estate. Why? Well, for a start, Australia's a pretty good place. You've got to hand it to us. We live well. We're happy people. We don't argue too much. We're pretty easygoing. We have a pretty stable economic uh, landscape. Up until coronavirus, we had 27 years without a recession. It's a world record. But we also, from a political standpoint, you know, we don't have dictators and we don't have guys stealing. You know, much of the world's pretty shit. Much of the world, people are ripping people off, man. Dictators are stealing money and fleeing countries. They are ripping off their citizens. Australia is a lucky place. Sometimes we feel a bit entitled here, you know, that, oh, mate, you know, I didn't get this or I didn't get that. Rest of the world is getting fucked over, right? So we should never feel entitled here. We should feel lucky because 90% of the world is getting, getting kicked, man. I'm telling you. So Asia looks at Australia for the Dubai effect. And what much of Asia does is land bank real estate here. The reason is they need to move money out of their country, which is unsafe, where things could go wrong, and they are moving it to a safe economy, a place where no one's going to steal their money. There isn't going to be an imposition on their life. And this, of course, happens a lot from people from, for example, China which is a communist country where people have a real uneasy tension with the Chinese Communist Party. And the best way to protect yourself is to not only invest in China, but to invest outside of China. And of course, many 
people who even live in China also love the idea of getting family members to sprawl out across the world to start to spread their economic position and obviously their safety net position. So you often see a lot of students in Australia studying and that is really part of the entry to skilled migration to eventually family migration. What you find is the Dubai effect creates a process of mum and dad money laundering. Now, money laundering sounds quite sinister because it really does link to the idea perhaps of the Yakuza or the Mexican mafia uh, drug cartels moving money. But money laundering isn't necessarily illegal if the money is clean. It's just if it's from purposes which were of criminal intent when it is truly money laundering. So when I say money, money laundering, I'm talking about the migration of money that people need to do sometimes a little bit covertly to get money out of an economy which is terrifying into a safe haven. In China, it's very common to do what I'm about to tell you. I was so fascinated with the idea of foreign investment into Australia. I got on a plane and I flew to Shanghai to find out how it works. I wanted to understand why at a local level, I'm buying a property and competing with someone who will never live in Australia, who's got more money than me, that outbids me at auction, that buys properties I can't. Why? How did it work? How does the money situation flow? There's really two angles it flows from. The first is from the student angle. The family member comes to Australian universities and does a degree. And Australian universities are really set up to benefit from foreigners. It's a bit of a money-making machine. I mean, foreigners are paying visas. Uh, foreign um, students are cashed up. To be a foreign student, you've got to show that you've got enough money to survive in Australia without a job. So students aren't an imposition to the jobs market. In fact, Corona's re rebound from Corona will most likely happen from students because students coming to Australia have money which their parents or they have earned, which they have to survive from and generally can only do less than 20 hours work a week. So the students with the high jobless rate are not going to affect the property market, they're not going to affect the jobs market, they are not a foreign investor, but they are the spearhead for family money movement. 
If you're a student from India, your family can give you 250,000 US per year legally to spend as an out-of-home allowance. 250,000 US. It's probably like 330,000 Australian dollars. You just need two years of that and you've got a property cash outright in many Australian cities. So the first part is this idea that family money can move through the dynasty of families. You send the student to Australia, they then can be propped up with cash, they then invest that cash into family assets in Australia through the real estate sector, the Dubai effect, safe haven the money. Money is no good in the bank, money is good in real estate. The second way often foreign investors get to invest in Australia is through the idea of a laundering process. In China, the general way to launder money is to take it to Hong Kong. And you can see the challenges with the new laws in Hong Kong have got everyone rattled. Because Hong Kong traditionally has been the city which talks to the West, the city where money gets moved from out of China into the West. So what is common, and as I had flown up to Shanghai, I got to know the tricks. What happens is someone from China buys a life insurance policy from a company in Hong Kong with a refund policy that has a short-term loss on it. So, for example, $50,000 is paid to the life insurance in Hong Kong to give life insurance for the resident of Shanghai. Then the policy is cancelled. $5,000 is kept by the insurer. $45,000 is refunded but it is not refunded into mainland China. It is refunded into a bank in Hong Kong, usually the HSBC bank. The HSBC bank then allow for lending across the world. All of a sudden, that process is repeated a few times and, of course, now the money is clean and it is investable anywhere in the world. And of course, today, the big opportunity for the wealth effect of bringing more money into your economy, lifting the real estate value so people that own real estate win, feel wealthier, spend more money, it's happening in England. England has granted up to 3 million visas for people who live in Hong Kong to safe haven 3 million people. You can imagine how much money will pour out of Hong Kong into London, into real estate where it's locked away and just how valuable real estate in London will surge. You're going to see the wealth effect. The benefit to English people, 
higher property values, more money to them, a more sense of worth to them, the benefit to the Hong Kongese people is safe haven. Safe haven. So money gets moved from China to companies in Hong Kong, out of companies in Hong Kong, into banks in Hong Kong. Those banks then shift that money anywhere in the world where investment is eventually done. HSBC is a known bank of being a money launderer. They've money, money laundered for the Mexican drug cartels. They've been caught and fined a billion dollars by US forces because of their known ability to launder. So at a big level, they've been caught before. I'm not saying anything I shouldn't. They've been caught before, but how it works at a mum and dad level, it's pretty simple. It's got nothing to do with the HSBC bank. They are just simply receiving cash from, uh, from money being washed through a company as a refund. Nothing wrong with it. Not illegal. It's not illegal. It's not even money laundering. I shouldn't even call it money laundering. It is just moving money from one country to another to then reposition into real estate. Now, it creates wealth for people who own real estate. It makes it hard for people that don't own real estate. Today, Sydney is an expensive place. The average wage here, it costs 13 more times than the average wage to live in Sydney, to buy a house. If you're earning $100,000 a year, it's 13 times more than that to buy a house, 1.3. That is expensive. That is high, high costs, right? 13 is big. Melbourne and Brisbane are like five and six and seven and eight times earnings. Sydney is 13 because it had this huge wave of foreign investment. And foreign investment will impact on local prices. But it is a necessary evil because... If you're trying to build an economy of tomorrow, you've got to have more money in your economy. And one could argue that without foreign investment, you wouldn't have the university systems we do, you wouldn't have the jobless rate we typically have in Australia, which is low, you wouldn't have the migration system that we have, which creates more and more demand for property. And of course, you wouldn't have buildings being produced which you often find and scratch your head about. Now, if you've ever heard of Docklands in Melbourne, it's a pretty interesting place. Docklands is a really a suburb which is driven by the Dubai effect. That much of the property there is actually owned by foreigners. And because Docklands is not a traditional Melbourne suburb, a traditional Melbourne suburb is Fitzroy, Richmond, Collingwood, St Kilda. These are wherever there's a football team named after it that began 200 years ago, that's a Melbourne suburb. Dock, there's no football team called Docklands. Docklands began by Jeff Kennett 30 years ago. And it allowed big Australian companies to produce excess amounts of property 
in an area right next door to Melbourne CBD. It began 30 years ago. Today, Docklands is pretty well built out. It's not a real problem to property investors. It is a dense marketplace. But the interesting thing was all those properties could have not been produced by Australians. The reason why Australians wouldn't have bought them because Australians have never lived in Docklands before. So what you actually experience if you cut off foreign investment is rising rents because all those properties that were pushed into Docklands, many of them are locked up and no one lives in them and it's just good old-fashioned safe-havening money, but others provide rental accommodation to the marketplace which suppresses rent increases. It suppresses the yield, so it makes affordable for renters to live somewhere. Without foreign investment, you don't have buildings which look crazy to you and me as locals being produced. When they're not produced, all of a sudden, you have a lack of stock in the marketplace. Your property market goes from oversupplied to undersupplied. And right now we're in undersupply. We have no production really of foreign investment real estate, which is a good thing for property investors because no big properties are coming. Why? Foreign investment tax in Australia has been very high. It is around 12.5% stamp duty to buy in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane. The idea of scaring off foreign investments is to protect the local economy. Government chooses when they want the wealth effect. Right now, they don't want the wealth effect. The reason is most people are struggling. So if property values go up, then a lot of people will continue to struggle. But the domino effect of not bringing in the stock which normally gets sold in a hotel room in China, in a hotel room in Beijing, in a seminar room in Hong Kong, in a palace in India, all of a sudden you've got a challenge for the rental market. And the rental market does not have the stock out there today that it once had choice to. What we are seeing is the short-term effect of CBD, CBD, not inner city, but CBD localities being challenged because students aren't here. And there are high vacancies at the moment for what we would call foreign investment buildings. Now, we need to understand the difference because CBDs are full of buildings and not all of them are foreign investment buildings. Some of them are very expensive. The Hyde on Elizabeth Street, Sydney, is a one bedroom's two million bucks. Two million bucks. It's not a foreigner living there. Foreigner, best, foreigner students, I should say, or clarify, aren't living in these grand palaces. They're living in uh, the smaller, you know, less impressive apartment dwellings which were created 
for the sole purpose of getting money from one country to another, get the money out of the foreigners' economy, bring it into our economy. And of course, by doing that, you can often see that there is periods of, of or eras of the wealth effect. Now, around the globe, there are golden visa countries. Golden visa countries are countries that effectively allow a person to invest and also get a passport, the golden ticket. Golden visa countries allow a foreign investor to buy a property but also get instant access to the passport. The golden visa countries are countries like Cyprus and Portugal. You can buy a piece of real estate there as a foreigner from a country which your government is pretty hectic and get yourself a passport. So Australia is not the only choice for people around the world. Today, I would say the number one choice will be Hong Kong residents looking at England. I would say many people around the globe will be thinking golden visa. How do I just get the hell out of Dodge and if where I'm going is better, should I do it? But brand New Zealand, brand Australia is awesome at the moment. Coronavirus has revealed New Zealand is the number one passport to have. Why? Because they've got three people with coronavirus and the rest of the country is living the dream, running around on the like hills from the sound of music or something. Australia is doing pretty well. We know Melbourne is the dirty little kid at the party, let everyone down, but Melbourne will get its act together. And at a global level, I mean, we're still talking 100 people with coronavirus, so 100 cases per day, I should say. And, and a fair few people, sadly, have um, certainly been impacted and, of course, lost their life. And the economy has been decimated by, you know, across Australia by, um, by the, the, the virus. It is a real, real challenge for all of us. But the wealth effect is something you need to understand because when the next wave comes, you don't want to not own real estate because you're scared about supply or scared about coronavirus or you're uh, umming and ahhing about being a property investor. No, you want the polar opposite because when the government decides to press the button and every foreign investor into Australia doesn't pay 12.5% tax, guess what's going to happen? People who have had an uneasy relationship with their country of birth, their country of origin, are going to get money out. If you're a rich dude from Wuhan, do you reckon you want to keep your money in Wuhan? No. You're thinking, I'm going to buy something in Queenstown and have the best place on earth. I'm going to buy something in Melbourne. I'm going to buy something in Sydney. The moment the barriers are up. But the point of the conversation is the wealth effect. Foreign investment will create wealth for you, but it also creates inequality for you. 
And it just a decision you need to make. Is it inequality that you're going to continue to suffer from the handoff? Because when the government presses the button, real estate values will increase. They haven't pressed the button. They're not likely to in the next couple of years. But I would say within five years, they will. Why? Because you bring more money into your economy. You increase your spending. That increases your GDP. That increases wealth. There are four ways to increase your economy. You can do that through selling resources, iron ore, coal. We're lucky here in Australia. We've got plenty of iron ore and coal to go around. Whether that's a good or bad thing, that's what Australia has. We have innovation here, which increases your economy. We can increase productivity by increasing how much money is in the economy. To do that, you allow foreign investment, the right foreign investment. I'm not saying selling ports and leases, you know, that are to huge multinational overseas companies is right. But what I will tell you is it will happen because it creates jobs, it creates wealth, it creates spending. If my house goes up $100,000 next week, guess what I go and do? I have a holiday, I have a, a buy a pair of jeans, I have a crazy glass of Australian Shiraz. I feel good, right? If my house goes down, what do I do? I hide in my room, I feel sad, don't want to go to the movies, I yell at my missus, all these horrible things, right? So the wealth effect is a societal effect. And all of a sudden, you can see how society flexes from this concept. So be ready for the next wave of the wealth effect and be ready for foreign investment to come to a property market near you because it will create wealth. England will probably get it next by virtue of, of being connected to Hong Kong for 100 years. And the golden visa countries, no doubt, will be piled upon from residents all over the world who don't want to live in hide-clustered cities of 60 million people. That kind of vibe. Hey, I hope you've enjoyed the show, I've enjoyed presenting it. Bit of a controversial topic today, but I hope you've understood how foreign investment can impact the property market. I'm Sam Saggers. Thank you for your time. I'm signing off. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, Take care and bye for now.